All right, well, everybody, welcome back to the History Bros Podcast. I'm Andrew Roth. And I'm Wyatt Martinson. And today we're going to be just continuing our discussion from last time about culture and presidential politics, about all the aspects that happen in relation to both of them. We talked more about the presidential aspects last time, but this time we're going to not only talk about the presidential politics itself, but how it tied into the American culture at the time as more of an outlook, outdated aspect. So why, what else did you want to add about this? Um, you kind of summarized it perfectly. That's that's pretty much what we'll be discussing today. So hope right. you guys enjoy this. Yep, definitely. So we're going to, for this topic first, I'm going to start out with, honestly, kind of, I'll title it kind of a, let's say the word, um, kind of a context to a song. For those who have ever seen the, t- the television, well, movie slash musical Hamilton, originally it was a Broadway musical, of course, there was a song called The Room Where It Happens, where it details Alexander Hamilton working out a deal with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison over a deal about the monetary plan that he had alongside establishing the state cap- the country's capital. So in the song, there it all basically shows about how there's not much... The context behind the song itself shows that there's not much sources involved in how what happened on that fateful dinner. But especially since Aaron Burr, who was the key focus of the song, was not involved in it. And there's not even much sources involved as well as to what exactly happened. However, Jefferson is the primary source, though it is debatable as to whether or not it is believable. So I'm going to be drawing mostly from the context from a source called Founding Fathers, The Revolutionary Generation by Joseph J. Ellis. It is a book we used in one of our classes in school and that is really well done and very well written and going into key aspects about this. I highly recommend a good read to it. Um, the story itself, the d- chapter details about the presidential dinner, was we, he goes over the three candidates or figures, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton. And he involves the context in between how the dinner happened, what occurred, and why they wanted to choose these certain decisions. First, the author conveys about uh, um, James Madison. It's so hard sometimes to remember all these names together. Yep. It makes them all up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so James Madison, he originally worked with Alexander Hamilton during the Constitutional Convention with the Federalist Papers. They took under the pseudonym of Brutus to try to establish why we need a, the Constitutional Convention and also about why they need a, a Federalist aspect toward the politics as well as the president, as well as the government laws that are established. Madison, however, started to sway further around 1790 when he discovered Alexander Hamilton's plan, um, monetary plan for dealing with taxes and bills and everything that was involved in the national and state debt. He discovered that Hamilton was mainly conveying the idea about trying to have the government itself add on not only the national debt, but also the foreign debt, the state debt, all into itself in order to try to uh, control it into one big debt in order to spend it all up and get it organized. Madison was originally against this, and some would convey that it was also with influence from Thomas Jefferson. However, he wasn't really sided away based on Jefferson's opinions. It was only a small aspect. Madison actually was, was forming his own opinions on it, about why he wanted this and why he felt like this was not really patriotic or also authoritative for the United States to have. One aspect he was very much worried about was the idea that with these debts being all handled into one debt, monetary value would be swapped in different aspects and eager investors, you would say, like shipbuilders or map makers or people who have high standing in the economy or also in basically the communities itself would take advantage of the possibility of gaining more money from this as well as 
taking away money from people who possibly needed it. More of a kind of a corrupt business stature, basically. Madison was also concerned that since Virginia, his home state, would be basically would have to resettle the whole debt aspect, even though that state itself almost paid all of its debt already. And he felt like it would have been a restart of everything that was being established or organized. He also was just concerned that more states and everything else would have been much under control based on power, more or less than what was being established by the government itself. With that aspect, though, he made a riveting speech with all this, but it was not really carried out properly. So he, it wasn't a successful win, but in the end, he would, would side with Jefferson, and then they would gain a much higher advantage against Hamilton, as, is, as drawn from sources and as from the Hamilton musical itself. But with Alexander Hamilton himself, his plan and purpose, was, again, was to form one big debt in order to get things organized, as well as with the state bank that, they were that he was trying to get organized. Or country bank, obviously. But Hamilton himself wanted to try to, I would say, basically, try to make things simpler and less complex and help U.S. citizens get more benefits, basically, I would say, or be less stress on paying the debts and the taxes and everything else, and also just being able to convey more important attributes to what was also needed. For Jefferson, he specifically sided with Madison, obviously, but he was more trying to understand every aspect to it as well as getting things organized once he came back from France because even the author admits that he was somehow discombobulated a little bit, especially since when he came back from France, he had a migraine headache. He, well, many, American, many of our founding fathers were dealing with other things. One founding father was being or part of the government was dealing with his wife who might have died. Washington was actually sick and almost died during that time as well for a brief month. And also other figures were dealing with other things as well, which is not really conveying the musical at all, obviously, because for entertainment purposes. But it just showed that there was much more aspects before everything could be properly established for the governments to make laws and decisions. Heck, the disease that Washington even had, he almost apparently some people claim he would have perished from that. And... If that happened, that would have been a very severe change to our history. But anyways, with Jefferson, he looked at the law and stuff and also sided with Madison and more of these aspects of why they needed to be careful about this and more of these aspects. However, they it was not really going anywhere with both of them as this has been conveyed. There is not much going anywhere with it. They kept trying to move things forward, but yet Hamilton wanted the other side. It was always back and forth between the two topics of what should or should not happen. One thing was for sure in order to establish this bank, as well as alongside the debt, which was already surpassed a while earlier before Jefferson came back, the bank itself was had, was trying, was needed enough votes, and that's what Hamilton needed. But with that, excuse me, my phone was off. I should have put that on vibrate. I know I'm interrupting the story. I'm terribly sorry. But um, basically, they, uh, they wanted, he, Hamilton needed enough votes for the bank, as is conveyed in the musical. But he couldn't figure out how to do that in order to get it organized. So Jefferson, according to Jefferson, he claimed he was the man who organized this discussion, this dinner. And he was the one who ran them all together to discuss this. Again, no one really knows what happened in the dinner. However, the author, Ellis, claims, well, not claims really. He actually knows from research that there was actually, the dinner wasn't only one meeting. There were other meetings of Jefferson and Madison and other figures trying to detail what they can do to reach a conclusion through all this. And with this conclusion, Jefferson and Madison wanted to make sure they can establish the nation's capital close to where they lived so they didn't have to worry about going back and forth all the time. 
However, the, for a brief time, though, Madison himself actually considered wanting to place the, cap, place the capital near the Potomac, the Potomac River, which is, ironically, detailed a lot of romantic intentions or aspects or of, what would you say, like, um, legends or aspirations, kind of like the Tims. So, in other words, romantic as in the sense of, like, something that's legendary, something that's incredible or something that is unique. And they thought it was the Potomac would be like the Tims and things of that nature because they didn't really know fully about it. But after a time and stuff, they met with Alexander Hamilton at the dinner and everything was discussed and established. And there might have been a few more meetings afterwards as well. There's not really a positive confirmation, but there were multiple meetings, more than just the famous dinner that was highlighted. There is also the aspect that Jefferson would later admit to Washington that the decision they made with Hamilton was not his best decision that he ever made. He hum he humbly admitted that they could have that what he gained was not the best opportunity because it, Hamilton was able to get much more much more than what than what Jefferson and Madison basically had. The other wor the other thing too is the one thing they Jefferson and Madison tried to stay away from mostly for this deal in order to, for it not to happen was what the author would call consolidation. Basically, that's what they were trying to go against in order to protect their state of Virginia from as well and all these things. However, they still, because of the deal that Jefferson claimed was never the best deal in the world, consolidation still happened within Virginia as well as in other states. Because of the decision that was made, there was even more threats about secession and stuff, but Jefferson, being the leader of, basically, practically leader of Virginia, said that basically secession should not be should not be a plan right now because that just would not work out, especially with the fact and actually, it might have been Madison, if I remember correctly from the readings. But it was also the fact, too, is like... Matt, no, it was Madison. Thank, sorry about that. I remembered it was Madison. There's just a lot... There's a lot of details covered in this chapter. But basically, Madison was, they wasn't too concerned that they needed to secede because, A, they had Thomas Jefferson and other key figures from Southern Virginia and other Southern states that would stand for the Jeffersonian attributes as well as what they wanted instead of what Hamilton stood for. And that, how it affected culture, basically, also, was just the fact, again, was just the national debt. How it would accumulate into one big debt alongside everything else and help attribute to everything other aspects to not even to worry about paying things off. And also affecting people with taxes and other tariffs and all that jazz. Granted, tariffs weren't established too much later, but you get, you get what I mean. But basically, it was just it established more aspects of what things happened. And if this feared corruption that Madison had what actually did happen with the monetary values, I'm not quite for sure. I do want to take a look more aspects on that because, again, these are aspects I feel like are barely covered in research. But, yeah. So this is the story about the famous dinner alongside added context. And if anybody has any other questions about that topic, uh, feel free to resound off in our, on our social media page and Instagram. And uh, what is your topic now, Why for this discussion? You started getting into the uh, culture, which is where I'm going to go. So I'm discussing... Uh the founding era and early republic like culture you know what let kind of how did the states uh the, were they in for the republic to rebel and become its own country were they more motivated by economic interests or cultural values and um this is an interesting really interesting question that andrew and i have been discussing because you can tell based on you know uh economically before the american revolution the colonies were very well off they were one of the most prosperous uh they're actually one of the most prosperous uh places under the english crown 
and uh, their economics was a huge part of that. Um, and when people think of economics, they often think of something abstract and kind of cold because, like, you know, oh, you're only, when it comes to economics, you're only worried about the money. And, well, that's true to an extent, but it's also, uh, it's also not true. Like, they, people often think, oh, if you're worried about economics, you're just worried about your own pocket. And it's like, well, yes, because the politics will affect my own pocket as well as yours. So there is, I think, a valid reason for them to be concerned about economics. Now, of course, many of these uh, men during the American founding era were well off uh, economically. They had large ownership of land. They uh, had they even had their own slaves. They were very prosperous in what they did. And uh, it, it makes sense that like economic interests might seem like the uh, might seem like the sole reason for them rebelling against England because uh, a lot of the um, a lot of what England did wrong leading up to the revolution involved uh, their economic interests because economically they were prospering with trade with um, their own. And as well as in the colonies through trade between the states and and doing business together, um, which and then uh, sorry I'm losing my train of thought. And then the other idea is like, well, what about cultural values? Because those are clearly there, so we can't really ignore the fact that they had cultural values as well to uphold because. Much of their culture that they were trying to uphold was actually historically a culture uh, that was English. They were, I mean, uh, what's interesting, and this can be safe for another debate, is like, you know, was the American Revolution really a revolution? Or was it more of like uh, a conservation of what they already believed? Because much of what they defended were actually what they, were the rights that they held as Englishmen according to the English Bill of Rights and the Magna Carta which the Declaration and uh, U.S. Constitution are very much inspired from. But moving on from that, uh, is which one is more significant in why they fought the revolution and why they created their own nation? Was it economic interests or cultural values? And I have to say economic interests, their value of economics was actually a cultural value and not just merely a separate interest apart from culture from their other cultural values because the founding fathers understood both from history and from their own time living in the colonies and growing up there, they understood in order for society to actually be free politically, they also had to be free economically because economics is often what drives a culture to be prosperous or to be impoverished and downtrodden. One good example would be the Soviet Union. They were ruled by communism and uh, while it worked for a while, it eventually drove the culture into, like, a serious uh, downpour of economic depression. And uh, no one, and the only people who were well off were the politicians because they were getting all the money from the people. And um, so they understood if uh, the government was to be uh, limited and to be limited effectively... Their, the economics of that nation had to be very, had to have, uh, had to be liberated. Is that technically correct? I don't know. But they had to be economically free 
to do uh, to do as they please because if they didn't then that would be an easy way for them to become impoverished and to have no way of defending themselves against uh, a tyrannical government and economics was a huge issue within the American colonies during the revolution because well part of it was they separated from England so there's no there's a decline of huge decline of trade there they were very good trade partners with England before the war um they also were not one united nation and each colony used a different currency during the war so it was impossible or at least really difficult to trade within the 13 colonies during the war and it was impossible for the Continental Congress to actually pay the military, you know, pay them, you know, their uh, salary, as well as just pay for basic necessities like ammunition, resources, food, and clothing. And this was especially serious during the winter. And this is something that Washington made sure to remark to Congress is that we literally cannot take care of ourselves. You have to effectively uh, fund us or we're gonna we're gonna fall apart and this whole thing will have been for nothing basically so i think economic interest was less a separate interest and more intertwined with their cultural values because again how can a nation be politically free if they're not economically free that throughout history you can see that the more prosperous more economically prosperous a nation the more uh free the citizens were and the more restricted the government was from overreaching and behaving tyrannically towards the people so in terms of like you know uh, their cultural values economics was very much intertwined with those values and i could and i would not say is a separate interest i mean there were certainly people during that time who you know they were only in it for the economics maybe they didn't care as much but i don't think that number was very they didn't necessarily care about the cultural values i don't think there were many people during that time because everyone whether they were a farmer an aristocrat a lawyer or whatever their job position was and how well it paid they were all going to feel the political brunt of uh british rule if they didn't fight back and in fact part of the way britain tried to control them before they uh could rebel or do something or you know do something along those lines they tried to control them economically through their taxes so yeah jeez and that that basically is just the concept of basically explaining so that's just basically showing how they this is before the war happened then just as before as i should say af after economics was huge interest because like you talked about with the national debt um that involved serious heavily involves economics because the Articles of Confederation did not allow the 13 colonies to effectively take care of the debt that was overburning the colonies. Right. The colonies were on a slow recovery after the war, but they were nowhere near as strong as they were before the war when they were under Britain or, you know, before the war ever happened. So, and I think part of Hamilton's focus was if we could consolidate the debt, that way we can handle it more effectively, that way we can make our citizens more free and, you know, put less stress on businesses and other economic players involved so that they can make money, we can become a prosperous nation again, and the states can be uh, economically prosperous again like they were before. They would just be under one national banner. 
instead of being 13 separate countries within a confederation. And the Articles of Confederation uh, only allowed for them to ask for the Continental Congress to ask for money. They couldn't enforce any form of taxes with, you know, uh, certain restrictions or debates over, you know, how much can we enforce uh, the uh, people to pay for certain things. There was no way for them to enforce taxes. It was all voluntarily, please give us money. It's It, it was not effective at all, and that's why Washington said you need to get money or else this whole thing is going to fall apart, which yep. it ended up not falling apart, thankfully. But Obviously. Right. It, it's just, you know, when you read about this from, like, the actual people who experienced this economic downturn and this, you know, huge uh, up, uh, pool of debt that was being drawn, you know, it yeah. it was very serious. And it makes you wonder, like, what would have happened if they didn't fix their problems back right. then. It's it's just crazy. Also, it hurt their foreign relations, you know, can't because... At the beginning of the war, you know, not meant they didn't have really any foreign allies. Uh, they were trying to get France on their side, and it wasn't until uh, they won a significant battle in the late 1770s, or I think it was 1780, with Benedict Arnold. Yeah. Uh, battle of Saratoga. Or, no, not Saratoga. Mm, no, I, so. I forget which battle it was, but uh, Benedict Arnold was involved before he betrayed the American forces that got France to side with us and say, hey, we'll give you a loan. Uh, of money so that you can afford more resources and troops and whatnot. But of course, you know, in order to pay for that loan, they needed money from taxes and they can really enforce taxes right. because the Articles of Confederation wouldn't allow that. And in order to change the Articles, all 13 states had to agree. And I don't know if there was any instance in which that actually happened. There was one time where it was close where 12 of them agreed to something to change the articles, but Rhode Island decided, nope. So because one state said no, they couldn't agree uh, to change the articles. So so very much uh, economics was intertwined with the cultural values and the presidential politics that was going on uh, after uh, post-Revolutionary War America because they're like, can we pay this money back to this country? Are they, can we, can they trust us to do this? Because this will have serious implications for us in securing our liberties and freedom for all our citizens and protecting us from foreign entities. So that, so economics was very much a serious interest, more than just a cultural value, a serious issue with the American Revolution and the early Republic. Yeah. As, as we've covered these past two set sessions for our podcast, there's so many topics and conflicts and discussions, even for just early colonial America before even the War of 1812, and it just, it just so much, you can just scratch the ice, just gradually scratching the surface. Oh, and yeah. We, it, it's like how it, the phrase goes, like, it's only the tip of the iceberg. What's yeah. interesting about icebergs is, just to make sense of the phrase, is that nine-tenths of an iceberg are actually underwater, typically. Right. So when people say tip of the iceberg, they really mean, like, tip of the iceberg. Yeah. It's a perfect analogy, which, you know, that really describes the history around this, as well as history as a field of study in general. There's so much complexities and conflicts that take place. Right. And, which raises up all sorts of questions, great questions and really interesting ones. It's just not always – it's just there's a lot to go into answering them because there's so much happening all at once. 
simultaneously right. in these events that oh, makes yeah. it hard to answer and track. Yeah. But we, but obviously as history majors, nerds, and puzzle solvers, we, we enjoy this kind of stuff. I, exactly. I've often correlated history as like a private investigator, which is kind of funny because Andrew wants to write mystery novels, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so yeah, so that's basically our topic for the day. We will be going back to more history stuff. We're still figuring out what our next theme is going to be for the next, next time we come back on. We will be doing our next podcast session every other every other week now. So just to be prepared, we might we won't be doing as much as we were hoping to for every week because of scheduled conflicts, of course. Right. Also, just you know, uh, we yeah we're just busy. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be we will be back though within um, um not ne- not next week but the week after for our next podcast. For our theme, we're still figuring out. We will be doing the War of eighteen twelve topic like we were planning on. We do not know when we'll be doing that one yet though. We might have to postpone that one. But we will be getting to that into that one within the next few of these podcasts, that, and yeah, wars are typically a big beast to handle when it comes to uh, historical discussions because there's so much going on, like kind of what we just discussed here. Yeah, and War of eighteen twelve is also kind of its own beast because like no one is really sure why it was fought, and yeah. it's kind of like the it's the know nothing war, like it, or it's like what do we know? Like it's we're unsure why it was fought. And, you know, I mean, good outcomes from it, yeah, but we don't really know as far. Whereas other, most other wars, it's kind of more clear. Right. At least more other wars with America, like with World War One and World War Two. Yeah. But, so, yeah, we'll be, we will be discussing that here eventually. But for right now, all we can tease for our next session is that we will have our, finally, our first guest star, our guest for this podcast. And then we will be talking, actually be going into our very first uh, pop culture section for the podcast so we're really looking forward to that getting excited for that and we will let you all know what topic we will be discussing within that by at least by next week for on our instagram page and as always if there's any suggestions or questions please let us know all right and yeah hope you guys have a great rest of your day thank you thank you